how much evangelism do we do inside the building? I know a lot of us do it outside the building, but getting the whole team on board seems to be a key element of demonstrating business leadership. Product Growth Leaders proudly presents the Business of Product Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Our topic of the week this week is product management as business leaders. So we've got a great panel today with John Harmer, Rob Goldberg, Jason Bitzelet, and Steve Johnson uh, for our conversation today. We, where we start every week <clears throat> is looking through some of our answers from the open-ended question. Uh, Jason, you're still getting beat to the punch for the first answer uh, this week. It doesn't, it doesn't help that we've got somebody in Switzerland doing it because she's probably up and already going before that. But I want to go straight to your one in the middle because I, I, it was a different perspective than everybody else uh, when they talked about it. Jason's answer was product management also needs to understand the user personas of their in own internal business. What are the goals of salespeople, mm -hmm. pre-sales, implementation, marketing, finance, legal? These related to the entire business thinking. These are related to the entire business thinking, which escalates a product manager to a business leader. When everybody else seemed to be taking that outward in, you know, market focus view, you gave me something to think about with that one. Talk to me about where your head was. Um, in uh, probably a vat of coffee at the time. <laughs> but uh, no, seriously, you know, as I was thinking about my career, I, I, what propelled me in my career from being basically like a technical project manager um, into product management and eventually as a VP of product and, and marketing and things of that nature was not necessarily my um, obedience to the roadmap and making sure that we're doing the right things to solve the right problems, which could be subjective to whoever's looking at the deals, right? So what propelled me is understanding how every one of the departments think about the products about and, and what their challenges are. And so that I can make those connections um, sometimes uh, on behalf of these groups, you know, connecting legal to marketing, uh, connecting pre-sales to implementation. Um, you know, you tend to be very, being a product manager, you tend to be very central to the organization because everything kind of works in and out of that product. And so including the finance piece. And so I was just thinking, you know, that's what kind of propelled me in my career was thinking about how the, all the areas of the business work around the product, which is our main, which is the main thing that we sell, right? Um, and, and yeah, so that's how, that from a business leadership standpoint, that's how we, I would say, converts. I, I, it, it actually gave me a new lens I hadn't thought about. And, you know, I, I often come from that strategy market inland, but, it, you know, to be successful in the business, those are all key personas to think about as well. John, I'm going to invite our new panelist, John Harmer, in on this point because, your current position is in product management for Gmail, and it's not like it's a typical, you've had other positions before where you were owning P&Ls and those types of things. How does it, inside of a place like Google, how does this, you know, all the internal users, how does that impact the way you look at the business leadership of product? It's it's actually really different. It's kind of weird. Uh, not in a bad way, necessarily. So at, at Google, we don't talk, we haven't historically, at least in my experience, talked about what is the profitability or the revenue associated with uh, Google Workspace, the artist formerly known as G Suite? Um, you know, it, it makes money. There's some number. Uh, when, when, when did it change names? I still think of it as G Suite. This week. <laughs> <laughs> we had a rebrand. Um, and yeah, so like the kinds of things, so Google is big on OKRs. And so the kinds of things that we end up focusing on are more around uh, like utilization of features. Uh, we even get it in so far as to, to focus on things like how much time we're saving our users. That's the big focus of this this workspace thing is integrating all the things together so you don't have to go from app to app to app to app. You just get the thing done and move on with your life. And so it's this like relentless focus on the user and uh, not a disdain for the revenue, but like not it's not a core 
thing you're you're driving towards, uh, which made Gmail be like a two, two and a half, whatever it is, billion monthly active user product, right? Um, I think we had the luxury of doing that because there's this ad machine yeah. uh, paying the bills. Um, and so Cash we can just make things. Funding. Yeah, most people don't have that kind of a luxury. You have to focus on those business outcomes. More specifically, we get to focus on the user outcomes a little bit more. Um, and so it's like the way that we end up spinning into to, to this specific question is like just demonstrating business leadership is uh, in the role I'm in. I work with a lot of third parties and partners who are trying to integrate into Gmail and it's finding the right sets of those partners to work with uh, and the ways to, you know, get them on board our platform to make our sort of shared user base more successful. Because in theory, that makes uh, those users stickier to both of our products um, and happier long term. So. That perspective just, I, I, I sometimes will talk down to sort of the, the unicorn VC type product management because it's so tech design centric, not user centric. Not, but I love the way you shared that there because in, in a way it's almost a, almost out directing me saying it's always going back to the consumer. It's always going back to the user, the customer to understand the, their needs and realizing if you can add value to them, there's going to be a, a monetization of it somehow. So right. yeah. I, mm -hmm. I, I would love to get into a, a going down a rabbit hole on whole product for Google uh, Gmail or Google Workplace, but we'll save that for a different call. Mm -hmm. uh, hey, Grant, can I ask you? So, go ahead, Rob. When you read that, when you read that, that third bullet, you know, what immediately came to mind, and I think it's kind of interesting and something often overlooked um, in product managers. You know, the product manager has always been in the role of trying to influence stakeholders across the organization. And what I've noticed, and maybe it's just because we're 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 so hyper focused on it now, but that uh, that systems thinking approach to product management, where you know it, it's a there's a system going on, you know, in, in our business because it's so highly regulated, um, you can't you know you really can't do anything unless you can influence others and get the buy-in. And I'm not talking about technology; it's you know compliance and legal and you know in the sales organization. Um, you, you have to get buy-in across the entire system to be able to successfully bring something to market. And the product manager, you know, while these are they're not even matrix organizations, the product manager has to work. And one of the skills that we, we tend to overlook, and it goes back to that soft skill piece too, is that ability to influence and persuade and so that everybody's coming together. It's so easy to say, well, aren't we all coming together for the better good of the company and the shareholders and the employees? And, and we see that at the opportunity, but you know, you're fighting against everybody else's priorities in any given day. And you know, to, to bring people together to, for the betterment of, of moving a product out into market and, and going after an opportunity is, is you know, that one in three seemed to work together to me for me. I was actually just about to go there to saying that one in three tend to be, you know, I think Jason's was more about, more explicit about who you're going to be worrying about where that was Anita's uh, response in the first one, which was more about talking about the, you know, how you're going to do it. So uh, I, I get that. Now the second one there, uh, the second bullet, Steve, I believe was yours uh, trying to work back to business outcomes. We don't build features just to build features. We build them to increase customer acquisition, retention, renewals. Well, now I feel less good about that after hearing John talk about Gmail. Um, but, you, you know, I, actually, as John was talking about that, I went back to a book I read a long time ago that said customers come second, employees come first. And, you know, if you take care of your employees, they'll be so shocked by it that they will take good care of your customers and they will be so shocked by it. They will buy and use your product. And I'm like... There's a lot yeah. to be said for that, you know, uh, and the example I, I think he used in the book was every single person working in the Atlanta airport hates you and their job and their boss. <laughs> I have not ever met anyone in that airport who is like, I am so glad to be here. Isn't that Passengers every and employees. <laughs> Atlanta's every, the worst. Every U.S. airport, uh, you know, like Europe has Maybe so. airports. And, you know, you're just like, you know, when the supervisor gets snarky with the employee and the employee gets snarky with the customer and you're like, well, shoot, I guess I won't be coming back here again, you know. Um, 
and and a different thought on on the on the third point there. I I had this experience. I, I was new in a role, and I I sat down with the dev team, and I said, you know, I actually want to do well here. I mean, how can I contribute to the team? And they said, well, before you start talking about requirements and stories and personas and all the detail, tell us what's going on with the business, you know. And so, you know, I was talking about these are the marketing programs we're running. These are the revenue expectations we have. This is the mission. You know, here's my, uh, my product canvas, you know, which I had in those days of, you know, here's what makes this thing unique. And, you know, here's what we're doing and why we're doing it. And they were like, you know, super that provided all this context that we needed. And what was interesting was a few days later, I got a call from somebody in support and he said, um, hey, I was just talking to one of our developers and he says, you have this beautiful um, business strategy presentation. Can you come give it to the support people? And I'm like, I'm not even sure what this guy's talking about. I guess it must have been the conversation I, I had to develop it, right? So I, I come in with my seven slides, which are now, you know, 12 slides and I present it there. And then I got a call from the head of finance. He's like, hey, I hear you're shopping around this great presentation about our business strategy. Can you come give it to my team? And, and I was like, why? You're in finance. You couldn't care less where you work. You know, you just move money from here to there. And he's like, you know, guess what? We actually care about the mission of this company. And before you know it, I'm going all around the company telling the product story and they'd never heard it. You know, they, the, the president was talking about company things, but nobody but me was talking about, you know, this is our premier product and this is what we're doing with it. And this is why we named it this. And this is why we changed that thing over there. And um, I think, I, until I saw, you know, this discussion, I was like, you know, how much evangelism do we do inside the building? I know a lot of us do it outside the building, but getting the whole team on board seems to be a key element of demonstrating business leadership. Steve, and you just you just made me go back and realize what I used to do 22 years ago at the company formerly known as Bond was the wrong approach. I was the director of competitive market intelligence and I was the person at employee orientation who was doing the overview of the market and competition. And I did an overview of the market and the competition, not the value we delivered in our product and our strategy. And I'm like, oh shoot, but that company went away. So <laughs> that's my fault, I guess. And, I, and just to add to, to Steve too, I think what's interesting is your audience, depending on any of those groups, like I said, for bullet three, you might need a little bit of a spin to what it means for them. Why is it important to them? Because I agree, everybody really wants to know. Um, I spent, I, after we had a legal, after our legal team, just one person, but she was our legal team, was in place for almost a year. She asked me to go over the product piece like you did, Steve. And I just thought it was amazing that she didn't already know this stuff. So she was writing contracts, <laughs> you know, and... <laughs> She used my presentation and, and took notes and all these little notes that she used continuously time and time again as she was writing, reviewing contracts. Um, so it, you just never know what people need to know and what they want to know. And you just take for granted that they just know all the stuff about the product. Indeed. And if you go back to Simon Sinek, he's like, I think everybody wants to know why we do the things that we do. So That's you exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. And you have to do that evangelism thing. Yeah. At, at Google, for example, uh, to get the teams to want to build the things that you think need to get built. Like it's, it's fascinating, uh, that same, using those same, what is it? Bullet number one, soft skills around understanding your user and their problems. You have to do the same thing with my development team or with the pre-sales or the marketing or the finance teams and like yeah. present them a story, evangelize the vision in a way that resonates. And it's such a trade-off between all this, um, and you're trading off, you know, sometimes you're trading off, you know, some of the functionality of what you want to do to get them. We're going through a little different, but we're going through this data transformation project right now. We're trying to move all of our, we built product taxonomies and we're trying to uh, map all of our revenue sales, expenses, um, development costs to those taxonomies and put it into a data warehouse and push it out through, um, you know, through the data, through different PI tools. And you think this would be the easiest thing in the world for everybody to get their head around more data standardized way of looking at it. And we're having a fight, if you can believe this over what BI tool we're going to use, you know, so it's like, so as much as I'd love to push Oracle analytics, I have to continually say now, no, from a, 
from you know, and again, I look at it as just another product that we're building. But I have to say, we're going to be data agnostic. We'll give you the pipes, and it's our FP&A team. We'll give you the pipes to be able to pull the data. And we had to make tremendous trade-offs in terms of what we're going to deliver to the end customer because of the territorial wars and the fight and the infighting that's going on. And you know, that's that's I guess it's just the nature of being in this position is sometimes when you get to that final, you know, here's our MVP. And it's, you know, you're making trade-offs and, and those things that were on the roadmap and we've had a pretty robust roadmap are now being looked at saying, hold it, we're going to have to give up here so that we can get the win there, which is getting broad user acceptance and use of the tool versus us being, the, you know, being rolling out our product that we want. Again, the lens has helped me change my view. The, the, the fourth bullet point was mine. I, this is my whole right things, right? Right. Let's leadership is doing you know, management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. And that's been a lot of my focus and my writing around the strategic side of the market-focused approach to make sure you're enabling the organization to do the right things. And I go back to the question, best demonstrate business leadership. And then I come back to, you know, the third point and first point, really, the way you demonstrate it is not making sure they focus on the right stuff. It's making sure you can enable them. It's the enable part. It's the engaging with them. Uh, across the organization to do that. The first one is just doing your job. Uh, you know, being market focused, coming up with the right problems to solve. Uh, the second one, the enabling it, the soft skills, the understanding how to do it. That's where the leadership in the organization, the soft, the lower L leadership. As I, you know, when I talk to Lynn Levy, I talk about right. You're how do you get people who don't report to you to do what's right <laughs> and do the right stuff? Uh, so then. I, you know, I'm the gonna... answer is you try to convert them from mercenaries to missionaries. Yeah. That is a fantastic phrase. Uh, but it's that's... not mine, but I, I love it nonetheless. There, there's a, uh, Steve and I were talking earlier today. I've been reading slash listening to The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek, uh, you know, bring back to him. And he actually, in that book, talks about employees before customers because of that whole chain of it. And I still have been debating in my head because the Drucker in me is, is you know, it's always starts with the customer, the customer's why we have a business, or maybe they're yin and yang and you have to treat both of them, you know, great. Uh, but, you know, he, he talks about, he actually is now positioning, the why is in the past, your just cause is where you're going to. Uh, and, <clears throat> you know, part of me thinks he's just re-spinning it for a new book, the same concept, you know, but part of me likes the idea of it because that's how you get a missionary, right? If people are serving for a just cause and people believe into it, bring David Merriman Scott into it and with the whole concept, all of a sudden the whole fandom type stuff, the whole fanatics is not about just your customers, but as a business leader, how do you get your organization to, to be behind that. Uh, Rob, I was talking to my son today. My Rob and I had a great conversation last week about musicians. His son is a French horn player, went to conservatory in, in Johns Hopkins. My son is a trombone player and he wants to be drum major next year. And I'm like, he's got some competition. I'm like, now you need to start just going out there and showing you're a great player is not going to get it. You have to become a leader in the band, right? Again, that lower L leadership, how do you get people to move and move them, get them, to that just cause, get them being missionaries with you. And God, I don't actually, I think every week I say, I'm going to change my answer because everybody else's answers have helped me think through everything so well to make me look at this broader perspective that I, I you know, sometimes keep my blinders on. So I appreciate Jason, your answer and this conversation we've had on this right now. Uh, the interesting thing I want to do, it's an experiment. If you look at the answers to our poll, uh, everybody voted for strategy. You know, where does product make the best chance to demonstrate business leadership? Eight and oh, right? Everybody voted for strategy. I want to redo this poll after people have listened to that first 15, 20 minutes because I'm changing mine to, to collaboration. Uh, you know, a couple people put all of the above and I'm like, okay, the question says, which is the best way 
So I'd love to pose, let, let's talk about this right now. These well, are the problem is the first word is strategy. And whenever we see strategy, we go, well, that has to be the right answer. You know, because, you know, we're so often pulled into tactics and technical and like, no, 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 strategy, strategy, strategy. But yeah, based on this conversation, I need to change my answer too. Yeah, I think even out, even though, you know, I did the number three there, <laughs> the highlight of the collaboration, I also picked strategy. And I think that's exactly <laughs> why is because maybe that's where I want to be more as um, a business leader is focusing on the strategy. But is that where we demonstrate the leadership um, which has to do with, you know, bringing people to the vision. And if you I don't, think that might be more with collaboration. So. If you don't uh, play devil's advocate here for a second, but if you don't identify the right problems, do you even know how to start the collaboration? Collaboration alone yeah. is, I don't think is going to get you, might not get you the end result. I, I looked at this and when I, when I voted and I voted for obviously for strategy as well, I thought about, you know, the biggest thing that I do is reduce uncertainty in the business. And that's not through collaboration or, you know, optimizing profitability. It's by focusing on the right problems and then figuring out who I need to collaborate to get the job done. So I don't, there's a little bit of, um, you know, they're not mutually exclusive um, mm. as we, we, we might think. But don't they, I mean, they kind of build on each other really. Right. So you have to you have to have a strategy and a vision that you then you know uh, work cross functionally to evangelize and compel everybody that that's the right strategy and vision, and then that thing has to then be in service of a, a business management thing that gives you profitability uh, and all that. Like I can't, I don't think you can divorce all three, but I think maybe collaboration is the one that makes success happen better. <clears throat> now, Rob, you're getting me to rethink my answer now, and, and I, I'm now like I don't mean to do that, Grant. <laughs> I, I had a client a month ago, actually, John Peltier, and they were working together with a software company down in, in Atlanta area. And I spent time with their development head. And because it was like, how do we get them more productive? I don't know. And, I, and I'm like, well, you can use burn down and burn up and you can do all these things to do it. But as I dug into it, they were actually fairly effective in delivering what they're doing. What it, it came down to was they didn't have, the, they were not focusing on the right things, right? They were, they were spending a lot of time building things that weren't adding value to the user, the buyer or the company. And that's not productive work. And so to your point, Rob, you know, the tip of the spear is the strategy uh, and doing the right things. Uh, I, I've been going back and forth, reading the, the, the questions. And the first question is how can product management best demonstrate business leadership? And the second question is, where does product management have the best chance to demonstrate business leadership? And there's a slight semantic difference in my head right now is, <clears throat> how do you, uh, in the first question, how can you best demonstrate the leadership? It is a lot, collabor collaboration is key there. Or maybe the two of them are inter intertwined and you need both of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, my split personality is going back and forth and maybe it's a semantic difference, but the way you ask the question is going to be different. Me doing my job well, me doing the strategy part well, can be a huge enhancement for the entire organization, for the whole business, right? Me being a business leader is me helping enable everybody to understand why the why in the context to be successful with that. You know, I learned a long time ago, Grant, that, um, um, it gets back to this idea of reducing uncertainty. I actually learned this back uh, early in my career when I was in new products at Duracell. And, um, and you know, we, we delivered time and time again. We didn't do more. We didn't do less. We delivered exactly what we we're going to say to the market. And I remember having a conversation at the time with Charlie Perrin, who was the CEO, and he said to me, the one lesson you have to learn when you're dealing with the stock market is they, they expect certainty. They don't like uncertainty and, you know, it, it, you'll see the stock will bounce around. And if you ever get into this role, never overpromise, never, you know, and never under deliver, just do what you're going to say to do. And I think I've always, you know, I've always seen in product um, in, in all the roles that I've had that leadership, you know, you can't, you can't be successful unless you're collaborating and influencing others and you can't, um, you know, it, it provide the kind of margins unless you truly understand your product. You're able to you're able to get pricing right, and you're able to keep the sales force from uh, from giving away you know all your profits. 
Um, but the one thing that senior management always expects, and I even see it now in, in all the operating meetings that I, I go to and have to present about the portfolio, is you know, if you can be consistent and you can create that consistency and remove, reduce, whatever word you want to use, reduce um, uncertainty and reduce the risk in, in how people make decisions, um, it just, I think that's the true sign of leadership, for me at least, I think that's the true sign of leadership because it means that everything else underneath is running is running uh, smoothly and correctly. It's, it's I've, I, and, I've, and I'm sure everybody has sat through meetings where, you know, you say you're gonna do something, the, the result turns out to be something else. Nothing was communicated along the way. It catches everybody by surprise and now you're reacting. Competition comes in and does something different. There's a new regulatory requirement that we didn't know, and now we have to change our development to build something that is going to be a throwaway in the end. That kind of uncertainty, that's where I think leadership gets questioned and people get de demotivated and, you know, and, um, and causes more problems. So I, I don't know if that, that helps you a little, Grant, but uh, that's, how I look at, that's how I look at this question and and why I, I still hold my answer at that, that top box. You know, and I've, I've got some noise in the background, so I'm going to try to be quick. I, it does help. Uh, but it also is a situation where what, the job is not one point. It's not one thing. We have to do a whole bunch of things. And so, you know, Steve, talk to me about the business management, the life cycle side. That's the one place we, no, nobody has touched yet. This happens to me a lot. Uh, the person who asked the question knows exactly what I'm going to say, but then I don't remember what I, I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> but I think you're talking about uh, the three horizons. Um, so let me answer that. See if that's the one you were looking for. <laughs> so we were having a conversation the other day about um, the, the varying roles and the varying metrics for product managers through time. And uh, uh, what, what happened to me a lot when I do training or workshops is the, the, the VP will come in and say, uh, well, Steve, don't you think the product manager should be paid or compensated on revenue? Uh, and I, I, it's always a, you know, don't you think, you know, so clearly I know where he's coming from. Uh, and my answer is no. Um, what I really would say is that product managers should be bonused on next year's revenue uh, because the decisions we make this year in the product won't turn into revenue till next year. Um, but it got me thinking about, you know, what are the outputs and the outcomes for the different roles of product management? And I, I've actually come to believe that there are three almost entirely unrelated product roles within the title product manager. Uh, Grant has a long history as a strategic product manager, uh, looking at what markets should we enter and what products should we create that we don't have today. And if you look at that, you certainly can't measure that on this year's revenue while you're still you know, planning what markets we might want to enter. So in the case of a, like a strategic product manager or a business manager, um, you'd say, well, actually, that's probably well-researched business ideas that can be prioritized uh, or the quality of that kind of work, which isn't necessarily, you know, outcome, but it's, it's something, right? Um, then product man uh, the, the technical product manager is more focused on the next release, not future products that we're going to deliver a year or two down the road, but a next release that we're going to deliver six months down the road or three months down the road. Um, and there, you know, it's like you still can't measure them on revenue, but you can measure them on the quality of their prioritization and their availability to the dev team. I mean, uh, the number one failure in uh, product, uh, the number one failure in Agile is that the product owner is not prepared when the developers say, I need more work. And so they end up working on whatever the hell they want because there's not a prioritized backlog to work from. And then the third role I see is sometimes called product marketing, and I prefer to call it product growth manager. 
that and and that role is focused on how do we sell more of what we've already built you know i have no control over what was built i i don't have any control about what features we're going to put in the next release what i have is version 2.3 it's available to me now how do i increase sales and that's you know looking for friction looking for friction in the go-to-market. It's making sure the sales guys have a, a, a good toolkit, making sure that marketing has what they need to be effective in terms of lead gen and whatever else. And that's the only role of the three that I think you can legitimately say the actions you take will uh, now will generate revenue this year. Um, and so for me, I look at that as... There are three different roles optimizing profitability in three very, very different ways across the life cycle. Steve, I actually had no preconceived answer you were going to come up with, and that was exactly the answer I was looking for. So <laughs> perfect. And actually, as you were going through that rant, uh, I started looking at saying I could have changed that third question to be more about helping drive the now and the products out there. You could really could have made it strategy, planning, collaboration. There's a lot, you could have made it those three horizons in, in the three different roles of product management, although uh, we didn't do that. But yeah, we I, really aren't going to need to have some sort of flashing <laughs> thing on the screen. Steve rant, Steve rant. So everybody <laughs> knows where we're going. Actually that, that was, that punt was purely because our, our laundry room is right next to my office. And the dryer was in high spin mode and it was so loud. I didn't want to keep having my continued stuff. So it was a quick punt to Steve just because it was going to be too loud if I was going to talk. <laughs> so with that as a perfect transition, we're going to get to our open-ended questions for the day. Uh, the first one, what is the biggest mistake product managers make that get in the way of them becoming a business leader? And I'm going to just throw out right now, Biggest mistake I made was I talked about three years, five years. I didn't talk about the steps, the first step or two it took to get to three years, five years. So as, as Steve said, my background was more strategy, right? New markets, new products. Where are we going? Where, how are we evolving and disrupting and rethinking? And I would do the work. I talked to the customers. I'd do my visits. I would figure it out. And I'm like, oh. This is how the market's changing. This is where we're going to be in five years. Oh, wow. And I started trying to sell people that vision. But most people who don't have that, A, didn't have the, the context I had from all those visits and conversations. And B, most, a lot of the people who are executing on it are not five-year thinkers. They're not strategy chess players who are thinking 10 moves ahead. They are able to think one or two moves ahead. And so the biggest mistake I made was trying to sell people five moves ahead when they couldn't get there and then I couldn't get them at, at, they were so lost. They didn't understand what their action should be. I lost them in the vision, not in the, how do we get to that vision? Yeah. The problem you have is you're trying to sell fire prevention to a firefighter. <laughs> and they're like, dude, that's cute as the Dickens. There's a fire right there. Let me go put the fire out. And you're like, no, no, but if we, if we had sprinklers, we wouldn't have fires. And they're like, well, okay, yeah, but there's a fire right there. And it's really hard to communicate, to be thinking second horizon, third horizon with people who live in the first horizon. I, I would agree with that. Uh, Jason, talk to me about your experience with this. So I think it's a matrix situation where you're looking at, you know, present tense versus future tense. And I totally understand where you're going with that grant because I, I see that as a big mistake too. Um, if you're a product manager who tends who, who's focusing on strategy, but even if you're one of those other product managers, like say technical product management, um, then it kind of goes again, back to that bullet where um, the product managers I trained that couldn't move to the next step in their career were the ones that were focused solely on their product. And you think, well, that's your job, you're a product manager. And it's like, yeah, that's your job, but there's other products possibly in your company, in your suite. And to think about and to understand where the vision of those other products are, that, and this goes John Harmer, probably what you're talking about with Gmail versus calendar, you know, like what's going on with calendar and how is my Gmail product going to relate to that? And 
the product managers that I've seen that couldn't make that step are the ones that stayed kind of siloed saying my product's the most important thing to me. And that's what I'm being measured on success. But in, in fact, you know, having that kind of complete organizational uh, thinking about where all the products are, uh, you know, is, is that challenge to, to cross that threshold into becoming a business leader there. John, I'd love, I mean, he, he, he invoked you and in, in some of the stuff you're doing at Google. I'd love to get your thoughts. When you see, I mean, you've seen it both for, in sort of the B2B side at CBON, you've seen it as the consultant uh, from leading Agile. Now you're with inside of the behemoth of Google. You know, what's your thought? Both on what Jason was talking about with the, the blinders on the product, but also in general, what, how would you answer this question? Well, yeah, I mean, to tie it back to what you and, and Steve and Jason were saying, so that you talk about the three horizons. I think if you get stuck in any one of those areas, it's going to be a problem. So if you're too laser focused on my tactical little world, that's a problem. And if you're too laser focused on the five years uh, and can't connect the dots in between, that's going to be a problem. Um, that was one of the problems I had uh, at the beginning of my time at Google was like, I, I didn't do a good enough job of convincing the team that this, this vision thing, why that was important. I was just like, here's the vision. They're like, I, I'm really working on my fires now. I, that seems hard. I don't want to deal with that. And so it's like connecting through all the way. If, any, if it breaks down anywhere along there, uh, that's, that's going to be your biggest mistake, right? So you can't be too tactical. You can't be too strategic. You have to balance, as, of course, because why would product management ever be easy? Gold, Goldilocks of product management, right? Just oh, yeah. right. <laughs> exactly. Rob. Well, I, I jotted down three things because I, I, I think this is a great question. Um, and uh, it made me think about three things. One is uh, product managers who think they have authority to do something. Um, they have responsibility, but they, they tend not to have the authority. And that often gets in the way of them making decisions. And then, the, and then, then in uh, line with everybody else, I think the second thing for me was scope creep. And this sort of goes back to my same, my third point, which was they're not able to deliver on their promises, which is trying to balance between the tactical and the strategic, trying to balance between the short term and the long term. It's, you know, we see it all the time. I can't tell you how many times we've changed our SDLC because we get, as we're moving from waterfall to agile, we have to keep going back in and telling the product owners, don't pull more things into the backlog that, that weren't in the original sprint. And, you know, and now we now we have to have a separate meeting for that. And so that scope creep, you know, it causes so many things down downstream that you try to collaborate with others and coordinate with others. So, you know, collab, um, scope creep and, and, and not delivering on your promises, I think, are the biggest things that erode somebody's um, somebody's ability to be a, an effective business leader. And Rob, if you do allow scope creep to happen, if you pull in those two stories into that backlog, you're not going to be able to deliver on your promises, right? The more things right. you try to start, the fewer you end up finishing. Uh, it's like a, it's a self-reinforcing destructive cycle. Exactly. And that's what we're finding the hard way. Yeah. It, it goes back to my first training on you know requirements and, and requirements that can be successful. And it was this concept of how do you chunk it into the stuff? So you, it's, if anything, you're eliminating, removing stuff from the backlog to, to make sure you're delivering at least on a minimally viable deliverable, you know, feature or product or whatever you're going to call about it. But, you know, make sure that, you know, at a minimum, you're de delivering something of value, not keep bringing things in that are going to just keep the build trap happening and, and you don't get to a release. After we answered that question, I look at this question, I'm like, dang, we could just say, oh, what we said. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do a different pivot on this. So we talked a lot about the problem, and there's this consensus about right not being not letting the blinders get you. You know, being able to live across the horizon. So outside of that sort of holistic view, which seemed to be an issue, and outside of the Duracell rule of do what you said you're going to do and deliver uh, on on your promises, what advice would you give to a product manager? looking to become more of a business leader. And Rob, I'm going to go to you. You're in a VP of product. You guys are going through a lot of change. If you've got an up and coming product management professional, I'm not going to give a title or a level. Something says what outside of this, the, the do what you said you're going to do, you know, manage scope creep. What would you be, what would your, what would you say to this? What would be your best advice to a product manager? Well, I, 
I advise, uh, and I work a lot with our junior people. Um, you know, we're, as I said last week, we're, we're in a huge uh, transformation mode right now of trying to create a best in practice organization. And so I have these conversations all the time and it's typically around two things. Um, and one is always just, just deliver on your promises. Don't try to over deliver, you know, and, and, you know, and, and don't try to put speculation into your, just give us fact-based things. So that's the first thing. And the, and the other thing I tell people all the time um, that are junior that are trying to rise in the career is, you know, it's very easy for all, I mean, I, you could sit and beat up any product that you, that you look at, no matter what it is. But there's very few people who actually can, can look at a product, find the gaps in it, and come to, and also talk about the solutions and how it's going to be different. And I always tell um, the, the junior people, you know, try to think about the other side. You know, you're sitting there listening to a pitch for a new product, but trying to prioritize it. And you're not giving me all, you know, think about the decision that has to be made and what information, you know, I have a little thing that I roll out. Um, I should laminate it at some point, but I also teach this in my class, which is there's, you know, it's either two states. I'm either trying to advance my knowledge in something or I'm trying to make a decision. And most of the meetings that happen are, um, I wish they were more decision-based decisions. They tend to be more knowledge-based decisions, not knowledge-based meetings. But I always think that, you know, so, and what happens is people come in and they'll throw up on you all this information and you sort of, as a leader, you have to pick apart this information and say, okay, I see this piece works and this piece works, I can put together something. And I try to get them to think beforehand or even ask the question beforehand. What is it that this meeting is about? Is it to, to advance our learning in a certain area or is it for, you're looking for a decision from somebody? And if that's the case, what information do I need in order to be able to give you that, to, to, to achieve those outcomes for you? And then go figure out how I'm going to collect that information. And what, and then what, what I've been finding, short of having Grant, having to script what I want somebody to come in, this is what the page should look like, um, which I have to do in my MBA class. But for at work, what I try to do is, you know, what we've been finding is that it's getting much more um, specific. It's getting less of the throw up on you and I have to pick it apart. And it's, it's really starting to create really interesting meetings. So, you know, that's, that's, that's what I try to tell. That's how you build a um, credibility. And I think for a junior person, it's all about credibility. It's all about relevance. And it's, you know, it's having somebody come to you and say, that's, that's the beginnings of business leadership is when people look to you for, for answers. So that's, that's, that's what I've been doing at least. You know, it's, it's a great, I agree with it. Uh, you know, my first answer here, and, and I will admit I came from a GE background, right? And so the FP&A training they gave to me, even as a market research and strategy analyst, right? I always like, if you can, t if you can talk, the numbers, the business case, the pro forma, if you can speak to the impact to the business in a big B2B company like a GE or, or an IHS when I was there, being able to be versant in the financials, right, was a core in, you know, it was a differentiator to be able to do that because I could have that conversation with an FP&A person in the room and come across that. And maybe it's those places where the CFO holds the purse strings, being able to, I found as a business leader, I got more access to, I, to have my strategies happen because I could talk fluently financially, the business acumen, the financial acumen of being able to do that, understand problems negotiate allocations with the FP&A person to make my product look more profitable, right? Different things that, you know, understanding the levers I had to pull, you know, again, now we're getting in current year, what levers do I have to pull that can impact my numbers if, if I have to hit them? Longer term business case of what do we need to do and how do we do that? And so for me, it was just purely the financial stuff, you know, going back to the Jason rule from uh, the point three on page one, I think holistically, I would say it's not just finance. It's every, all the major stakeholders, it's marketing, it's sales, it's uh, development design, legal, uh, it's, it's everybody. So I, I, I would sort of take that, you know, that's sort of building around what you were talking about. 
I think, Rob. Jason, I'm going to hand that one to you because I just gave your answer from page one. Hey, thanks a lot. And my dog woke up, so that's why his head keeps shooting up here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm getting attacked by a monster. Yeah, you know, I think I think with a lot of this conversation, I think we need to just differentiate the different. I think there's one word that we need to change here because this can be a whole different conversation if we change the business, the word business to product. So what would be your best advice to a product manager looking to become more of a product leader? Mm -hmm. and, and so my perspective, and I think that we, we're coming, I think that we're struggling with that a little bit because we're thinking product leadership in some, in some of these ways. And I think, and we expect that, but you can be a product leader without being a business leader. Yep. Um, you know, and expect the, the expectation of a product manager, senior product manager, VP of product manager, CPO to become the CEO will require them to have some sort of business leadership skills as well. And so, you know, my advice to uh, any kind of junior product manager, again, go outside of product and development. Just don't stay there because if you don't know how the rest of the business works, um, then you're going to have a hard time getting in their shoes to convince them of your vision, of your challenges, of turning them into your world as a product, uh, what product management is doing. And so it's really just getting outside of your comfort zone in your own, in your own areas and, and move and, and sit in some of those meetings, go to sales calls, sit in some of those legal reviews and contracts, um, work, sit in some of the finance reviews, um, just get outside of your comfort zone of just your sprints and things like that. Now, now, Jason, I can tell you live in a battleground state because you did the perfect debate tactic there of not answering the question that was asked, but changing the question <laughs> to what you wanted to answer. <laughs> So, no, I, I completely agree. And I, I actually, I would argue you could say, you could keep it this way and say that answer is the same, right? It, it's, you know, it's an evolution of, right? Uh, I could argue you can be a little L pro, uh, business leader while you're still a junior product person, Absolutely. right? And that may be part of the path that gets you to be that big P, P, P uh, whatever, the product, chief product officer head of product type. The big P, that's what they call me, the big P. John, John your, your thoughts. Uh, so the, the version of what I was going to say was, uh, was Jason's answer was basically get curious about the other parts of the business. Um, and it also ties back to what you were talking about with the different levers. So like you mentioned the word that, that, that I triggered on was impact. So in the business you were in, the impact you had on the business was that bottom line thing. That's how that's your, that's your OKRs, I guess, uh, at GE and at Google, we have slightly different impact measurables. Uh, than revenue sometimes. It's certainly at the very highest levels are obviously still me measuring res revenue. But like getting curious about where your your work and the work you could get into can have impact for other people, uh, I think becomes you start to look like a leader because you end up helping them in their careers. You help them in their role and they, they will turn to you for things. Um, and then you get to become a big L leader after you do the small L leadership. Humility, right? It was the uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Exactly. Yeah. And speaking of that, my favorite person who thinks of everybody else first, Steve Johnson, on this one. Well, y'all gave, everybody gave such good answers. Mine's really, really tactical. I, I have found uh, in my career that I'm not very good at stakeholder management or communication. I'm like, more of a benevolent dictator. It's like, I've decided what to do. Would everybody just shut the hell up and let me do what the product needs? You know, I don't need your yapping at me. And, you know, so I put together a roadmap and I present it and I'm like, see, you read the roadmap, we're done here, right? So the advice I would give to a product manager coming up, particularly, well, in any product manager role, but more of a, you know, if you wanna be seen as a leader, definitely work on your skills in managing up instead of just, I, you know, the, in, in my past of here, I showed you that document once nine months ago. Why, why are you asking me questions? You know, uh, a continuous feeding of positive information to the leadership team seems to be uh, something that we all could get better at, but certainly I could be better at. So you started making me think my introduction of how hum you know, the humility you had was bad and you went vanilla dictator, but you brought it all the way back around. See, that's why I love what you do. Uh, 
We're going to go to the final question. We're running out of time. I want to make this sort of a rapid fire. And I know it's not really a rapid fire question, but you know, John, I'm going to start with you. And I'm so glad to have your voice uh, on the panel this week. First thoughts, how would you approach getting leadership to realize business, the business leadership role product management can play? Understand what's important to them and how what you're doing uh, makes them successful. Rob Goldberg. I would say get product management, change the, um, how the organization views product management and get product management more into the focus um, of, the, uh, of the business leadership. Jason Vincelet. Ask them what life would be like without product management. <laughs> Great answer. Steve Johnson. Say no more often. You know, be uh, be the person. There we go. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. John John said it for me. Yeah, be be the person who says no and has a business reason why. Uh, because if we don't define our jobs as being uh, making of of choosing, then we're just waiters in a restaurant saying, yeah, I can go get you uh, spaghetti with motor oil if that's what you want. Uh, sure. You know, we need to say no, that is not good for you. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, have you ever said, I'll leave it at that and actually left it at that? No, no. That's why these sessions always run all the way up to the, the time mark. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of do mine as a summer because again, I, I, my split personality has been coming through today, but I think it really comes down to understanding what leadership's looking for and helping them get there. Uh, you know, be, being a resource to help them get to their outcomes and it's going to be different in different companies, right? I think the GE background, the IHS, where we had a very strong CFO office helping drive strategy and planning that you needed to have that, but in different companies, it's going to be different things. So, I, you know, we're in the community every Monday, the open-ended question is going to go up. Wednesday, the poll is going to go up. Friday, we're going to have these wonderful conversations. John Harmer, so good to add your voice to the conversation. We hope that we have you on future panels. Yeah, it was great. Thanks so much for having me. Rob Goldberg, I hope this becomes a, a habit and we, we can have more of these conversations and have you on the panel as well. Thanks. Always fun. Steve Johnson. As always, it's a pleasure. And I'm actually going to go out and do my ESPN game. And the winner of this week's panel is Jason <laughs> Vincelet because he changed the way I think about this question. And uh, guys, thank you so much. Everybody have a wonderful weekend and vote. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Business of Product Topic of the Week brought to you by Product Growth Leaders. If you haven't yet, Go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. And for more great content and to participate in the topic of the week conversation, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation.